Cocktails presented by Data.World. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty, sometimes very colorful and fruity beverages in hand. My name is Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy, Data.World, joined by co-host Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. And as always, it's Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, and time to take that break, have a nice drink, and chat about data, data, data. And today we have an exciting topic, exciting guest, because we're really going to be hearing for the first time uh, what our guest is going to be announcing. And I'm really, really excited to have Wendy Turner-Williams, who's the former CDAO of Tableau and now is the CEO of The Association, which we'll get to hear much more uh, about it soon. Wendy, how are you doing? I am great. Like you said, it's hump day. Uh, you know, I'm ready for a cocktail. I'm ready to talk data. Um, so super excited to be a part of the podcast and, you know, to have this conversation. It's, Fantastic. It's so, let's kick it off. What, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for today? We are, I'm toasting um, the association and changing the world and driving data left as a first class citizen. What about you guys? Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> I will cheers to that as well. Data as a first class citizen. Sounds like you're doing your part. And uh, I am drinking a, a cocktail called It's Meant to Be. I, I asked for the hotel to give me something that uh, was interesting. And It's Meant to Be, I think, has rosé. It looks yummy. This is a rosé champagne, a nice French rosé champagne. Yes. What are you, what are you drinking one? I made a margarita. I made like, so just I have some tequila. I have some orange liqueur, some lime, and that's it. Yeah, like cheers. Cheers. a first class citizen. Cheers. That's right. <laughs> so t talking about first class citizen. Tequila is my arch enemy, Juan. So we're glad I did not break out the tequila because there's no telling what would have happened on this show. If <laughs> so my, my wife is Mexican. So my, a lot of my life has now been very influenced <laughs> by, by so tequila. A lot of tequila, a lot of mezcal, a lot of uh, spicy food. And that, that, is, that was not me 10 years ago. But <laughs> What's funny is I, I loved it. It was my favorite, uh, like, tequila, like just te tequila shots was my favorite thing, like, in college and young. But as I've gotten older and after I've had too many nights of, like, I'm not sure what happened when the tequila comes out, <laughs> just, like, it doesn't come out really anymore for me. So you know? yeah, I remember all the the tequila and the lime and the salt, right? That was the go-to. Yeah. Yep, yep. you know, last episode, I was sipping on mezcal because I had a nice bottle of mezcal. So <laughs> I, I, I do like that one. But uh, <laughs> all right, well, talking about first-class citizens, uh, we got our, our warm-up question today is, what are the first-class citizen things in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I think um, that's a really good one. I think being at the table being a part of the conversation, right? Um, being uh, respected. I think there's a respect factor when there comes with first-class citizenship, right? If you think about society or around the globe and what's perceived as first-class or second-class or third, I think, you know, there, there, there's, there's a respect factor um, that comes with it. I think that, um, uh, you know, investment comes with first-class. Right. Uh, because normally you're investing because there's again, there's a kind of a, a respect and epitome that comes with, you know, the, that label. Um, and I think all too often, you know, when it comes to data, which we're going to get into, 
don't always hit that first class bar. You know? mm. <laughs> so, so far is the reality. So what, what about you, Tim? What do you think first class is? Well, you know what? I think you had some, some good thoughts there on kind of what it means to, for something to be first class and, um, and, and where it's really top of mind. Like, is it a focus, right? Yep. Is, is the only thing I'd add. And um, I, I think, you know, I, well, one thing that I think about is like, you know, what's, what's like first class in, in my own life? Like, what's the personal lens on first class? I know yep. we're going to talk about first class today with data, um, I think about my, my mornings and how my morning is very precious. I want to have my coffee and I want to be able to just kind of meditate. I want to look at what my goals are for the day. And I don't, I'm hoping the kids don't wake up uh, too early. So I have my 30 minutes of calm and peace. So that's an example of something that's first class in my personal life. <laughs> no, I think that's a good example. You know, what, what about you, Juan? I, so for me, it's uh, it, the last couple of years, something I've treated as first class is my health and working out. And it's finding that balance because yeah. it's not like I, I like it. I need to work out and do it. It's like, I, I want to work out, but I also want to eat well. I want to drink. And have so it's finding that balance. So something yeah. that I always, that I did was we started the, the podcast through the pandemic. And once we were opening up a little bit, I would go to the gym and it was my tradition. I would go to the gym every single day, like at five or six o'clock and go to the gym after the podcast. Right. And I'm still doing that once I'm not, if I'm not traveling. So even though I have a drink, it is four o'clock here. I am going to the gym at we end up five. I have to go to gym. We have class at five fifteen. So that is yeah. uh, I paid my health and my gym and workout first class right there. Which which is back to kind of commitment or focus yes. or investment, whether it's time and commitment, the same concepts, right? But really, mm -hmm. it's about you know I am deliberately intentionally focusing on this particular area with investing, whether it's time, money, resources, whatever it may be even if it's your personal self, right? Making, mm -hmm. making that commitment there. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Investment, commitment, intentionality. Exactly. So, this is a good segue into, all right, Wendy, honest, no BS. Uh, what's up? What are you announcing here with the, the association? Tell us more. So I am so excited about this because frankly, I don't, I don't think anyone has done anything like this before. Um, you know, as a da longtime data practitioner who is really focused on driving culture and driving change and, you know, driving collaboration across companies, I just announced last week the association.ai, now called the association, where we're going to bring together practitioners, by practitioners, for practitioners in the AI data ethics, security, and privacy space, right? With the intention of A, networking with like you would do in a normal kind of business kind of networking group, but also publishing within ourselves about leadership opportunities, uh, branding opportunities, um, you know, job placement components. But more importantly, we actually want to create a cross-discipline, cross-industry um, governance channel that starts to define what ethical AI and data looks like in this next transformation by practitioners, right? So, I mean, if you think about this, uh, you know, I think that when people think about what's happening in the world with AI, Lots of, you know, focus, lots of, you know, everyone's looking at how they invest, how do they define their strategy, et cetera. And the reality is that AI is not a standalone, right? I mean, data is the foundation 
for security, for privacy, for ethics, for AI, period. And each one of those things are almost like a domain area that attaches off of data. And we need to bring the practitioners together in regards to how do we actually scale this thing? How do we actually share data you know, across companies? How do we actually handle ethics? And it's just something that the government can't really regulate. And frankly, the big tech companies can't regulate because they're the point zero 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 one percent of all of the companies out there so the goal is to give practitioners a voice for change um and to, and to really kind of help drive what's going to happen with the future of ai i love that that it is so true that you know folks are so excited about the change that's happening about ai and the impact that that can have but uh, not only is it confusing to figure out how we're going to handle that and what the right, right ways to handle that are, it exposes the cracks in our foundation. The skeletons, right? <laughs> right? That's right. I mean, there's a lot of skeletons in the, in, in the closet. I mean, if you think about, I mean, there's been all types of statistics, reports, you know, um, published by a lot of the research facilities. But, you know, I think one of the, the most common ones that I've heard that really made me open my eyes when it comes to AI was around data, where 92% of businesses fail to scale data analytics. Okay. And out of that 92%, 95% of the people in that 92% basically blamed culture. Okay. When you think about the, the business opportunity related to AI and you think about uh, the, the impact and the risk associated to trust or your brand or mission critical release of secrets like Samsung or all types of things, if you can't scale your data, what makes you think you can spell scale AI, which is driven off of the data, right? Most people don't understand that AI is actually 100% dependent on the data, right? So if that's the failure rate, what's the failure rate going to be with AI? Probably the same, right? I think now with the, with the era of AI that we're in right now, everybody's thinking about AI and then People are thinking about, okay, the data, the training data for the AI, but then it's like, wait, it's not there. Like you have to go back. Like how did the data come up to be create that training data to do that? Right. And there is all this, all, all this lineage, right? All this governance behind it that is right. critical. And we're kind of brushing that, that oh, that's somebody else is doing that. Or, or sweeping or it under the floor, it. right? Just to say we have AI. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we, we just want to just jump into the AI thing. So yes. this, this is this is the epitome of like hype, getting up on hype. We're going to go down and things are going to fail. And then we're going to go, then we're going to go start, I mean, pointing fingers all over the place. We, totally. But we know right now what we need to go do. Right. Well, and, and back to, you know, again, the, that first class citizen mentality, right? You know, digital transformation has always been about data, right? So I, 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 I never loved when they turned it to digital, even though I know digital is kind of all encompassing as far as, you know, the, the type of impacts. But what digital transformation really is, is about the automation around job, job processes, right? And job flows and collections of data points that you can then kind of, uh, you know, start to share across organizations and partners and, and business forums, et cetera. And to me, all AI is, is just the next crank of evolution on top of that transformation, right? It's, it's still a part of digital transformation. Now we're just going into, you know, artificial intelligence to kind of automate some of those workflows based on decision trees. 
But the key to all of it is the data underneath. If you're not collecting the right data sets, if you're not, you know, conforming the data in ways that, you know, remove bias or have quality, or again, if, if you don't know what's your data versus your customer's data, and it's just pumping through these models, then the amount of risk associated to AI is a, a lot higher than just flat digital transformation as it's been pre-generative AI release, right? right. So, <laughs> there, there's uh, five things that you talk about here and you're the focus for the association. AI, data, ethics, privacy, and security. So I'd love to Sorry. if you could go, go through these and like, why are these the ones and how do this intersect? Yeah, so when I think about these, these are all like correlated cross-dependent uh, functions, right? Uh, that, that are, so if you think about things like privacy, right? Privacy really is a domain of data. You know, what type of data do you have that you're collecting where there is PII or personal information that you need to anonymize, anonymize and, and collect and handle in a separate way? That's different than financial data. That's different than, you know, your operations data. It's just a data type to a degree from my perspective. Security is really about how do you protect that data from um, bad actors, right? How do you make sure that your data is really is, is treated as an asset, that it is protected in the right way and handled from a controls perspective to meet compliance bars related to that protection, right? Um, so again, it's not about what's in it, it's about how do you, how do you protect it, right? Um, when you think about things like ethics, ethics is just another use case scenario. Right? Um, how am I using this data for what purposes? Like, what's it fit for and, and fit for intent? So, to me, ethics is just another area that you are looking at intent, right? Like, what's the ethical intent around that data? Is it, uh, you know, are, are we using this to, uh, you know, uh, 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 drive DEI? Are we using this to, are we removing bias so that there's no bias within it? Are we, are we, you know, what are we doing around those pieces? And back to AI, I don't really think of AI much differently than data, because to me, AI is a part of data, because machine learning has always been a part of data, frankly, and data science has always been a part of data. So to me, AI is really just an advanced data discipline when it comes to how do you actually generate and make decisions, and whether it's artificial or whether it's through the models or what those things are. So they're all just intersecting components with data like right in the middle of the target. You think about like throwing darts, right? Data's in the heart. These are kind of concentric rings around them. And they all impact one another when it comes to policies or decisions for your customers. This is a really nice kind of explanation. You have that. And, and come, I asked myself, is there anything else? Is there anything else that could have been included here? Or, or, or why is it just these five? With, I mean, I four, think, the four. Well, I think there could be more, right? There's always business functions as far as, you know, how are you handling it for different types of wings of your business? There's always different types of industries. But to me, these are the, the disciplines and then how you spin them from an industry perspective by your discipline to feed your industry or your particular company as far as the use case, et cetera, or where you are from a maturity perspective, like that's independent per company and per your industry. Right. But to me, these are sister disciplines that are very, very much um, dependent on each other when it comes to actually using data. Like I'll give you an example. Right. Um, privacy, GDPR. 
right? All of a sudden, GDPR starts launching, what is that, seven, eight, maybe nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, and you see a ramp up all of a sudden of chief privacy officers, okay? Never really existed before then. Um, so some companies hired chief privacy officers. Some people handed it over to a CDO or to a CIO, you name it. But what their focus was on, how do we actually produce policy for how we're going to actually support GDPR and how are we going to roll out those policies within our organization and make customers aware of how we use their personal data and allow them to opt in, opt out. Well, from a data perspective, you had to operationalize those things. Right. So so again, from a, the people who are consuming and pulling data from the source systems and storing that data and curating that data and then supporting the analytics use cases or the hot path real time use case, cases or the support cases, et cetera, they still have to apply those principles into the data itself and make sure that the data is actually tagged appropriately to support things like right to be forgotten or who owns it. Right. And soft like I'm software. Right. That's mostly my background. So it gets very confusing between are you a uh, you know, are you a controller? Are you a processor? Are you, a, you know, are you a sub processor? So it, that goes back to data tagging. Well, there's no one better in regards to understanding the data being collected and how it's being used than the data people. And they have to operate it. So same thing with um, security. This is another example. Um, you know, I spent four years, I think it was, at Salesforce reporting to a CISO. And for me, it was eye-opening from many, many perspectives because, uh, A, we're kind of like opposites of a coin. I want to help everyone get the information they need and the data they need to do their jobs. And, you know, CISOs are, uh, you know, very risk focused, right? Let's, let's put everything in the closet until every kind of component and thought process and control is in place. But the reality is, is that things like NIST, right, which everyone wants to have a lot of massive NIST uplift and they want to conform to NIST because that will meet a lot of their compliance boundaries, about 41% of it is an overlay and a dependency with data management maturity. So if you focus on the data and your job is about protecting the data, well, the data exists there first for you to protect it, right? You already know how people are using it and for what purposes, right? So things even like, um, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, classification. How do most security teams classify the data if they don't know how the data is used or the risk associated to that data, right? If it's your yeah. high mission critical business value or if it's your financials, et cetera, they depend on the data teams. Okay. So that's why mm -hmm. we've selected those five. One is that to me, those are like, those, that's like the sisterhood, right? Or the, the, that's like the, the, the band of brothers in regards to true cross-dependency in relation to AI success and trust and ethics and how do we implement those things. I, I love what you're walking through as an example here, Wendy. And I think that your, your, your example of classification actually highlights some of the problem that I think we face here, which is that you have the CISO, you have the head of privacy, you've got the CDA, CDO, and maybe you even have a split between governance and the analytics office. And maybe every single business unit has their own analytics office with their right. own principles and things like that. Right. There's these silos that form in our organizations, both from an org structure standpoint, but also from a discipline standpoint. Yep. And you're talking about brotherhood and sisterhood. And I'm curious about, you know, how, 
how do we get there? I love the five things that you've yeah. noted, but I think in many companies, they're handled in a very disparate and disconnected way. They are. And, and that's part of the, the means for bringing together the practitioners, right, is to share ideas of success, etc. But for me in particular, you know, I, I always make an approach of um, I, I love hub and spoke models, right? I, I'm a big fan of self-service. I, I just don't think data can be centralized at most companies, depending on the on the size and scale of the company. And like you said, there's different kind of specialty areas by business or even by function, you name it. But the reality is that certain things like data management or your data strategy has to be a shared component, right? Like it has to be embedded in your culture. Otherwise, what you're doing is that your operational costs and your funding costs associated to those operational costs, whether it's hardware or the software, and then your risk for actually using that data to drive your overall corporate strategies um, gets lost, right? Um, so to me, like we're going to talk about, you know, the, the honest no BS, um, you know, I, I think the reality back to that data culture, most people don't understand what data culture is. Is it having data? That's not data culture, right? Just having data just to have data. What you want to have is high quality decision, business decisioning data that actually aligns to the strategies that the company is focused on, right? And enabling the people to have those strategies. Now, what that needs to do from a literacy perspective in order to be effective for people is that you've got to break down the business funnels and actually uh, help people understand how the business is interrelated, right? So something like, you know, I've got a lead and, uh, you know, I've got an opportunity and, and, you know, a lead to a deal, to a renewal, to a, you know, your product and how that flows in. Like each one of these business teams lives in their little silos with their blinders on. But the reality is that the data that they collect drives downstream processes, right? And so, you know, starting to look at strategy in a different way and starting to remove those silos to a mentality that we're all on the same ship because you're corporate success is yours is my success and yours is my success. And it's all of our success. If we're, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're, uh, you know, looking at a corporate perspective is kind of what needs to happen. So, um, so, but to do so, that, we got to shift to first class citizenship. So uh, the standard ovation here, actually, Tim is like back channeling me is like, uh, she is singing your song. This is, this, <laughs> this is the, the, like, I'm, I'm, you can see my smile for those who just listening to us. Uh, this is what I call the time that we, the data teams need to have business literacy, literally what you just described. You need to understand, first of all, what are the different business functions? How do yeah. they operate together? There is a leave. After a leave, you have this thing goes to this and blah, blah, blah. It's, called, it's called this thing, right? And they yeah. use new systems and so forth. And, and by right. the way, this is the, the objectives and the strategy of the company. This is how we make money. Like if we don't get this right, we lose money. Like, Anyways, you, you, let, you, let me give you let me give you a real life example. Okay, I'll give you a real life example that I dealt with years ago. Um, this was pre Salesforce. People can look up where I was at. But anyway, um, the big new area for a major soft software company was all about usage, right? Driving usage, driving usage. And I sent the team that was responsible for like shared metrics and KPIs, and we were having quality problems with our usage metrics. Okay. Well, 
digging in, it was my job to dig in and figure out what was going on in my teams. Basically, there was a disconnect in the business processes between what we sold and, and the billing related to it. So think the marketing, the sales, how we sold, and then the, the, the commerce platforms, how we build to where, A, you didn't always bill based for usage, right? Sometimes you gave free trials. Sometimes, uh, you know, people had, uh, you know, an incident or, or something and they got some type of, uh, you know, uh, credit, you know, whatever those things were. But the reality, under, the reality underneath it was that we had a big master data mess where about 18 years of tech debt related to products and then services as they moved from box products into cloud services was basically um, creating a, a, a lot of different kind of, uh, you know, lack of conformity in regards to the rollups of the data. And what would happen is that as new products were rolling out for software, the marketing team, the sales team are having conversations about what they're going to call the product, about where they're going to market it, about what the SKUs were and what you got. But on the commerce side, what would happen is that you had basically operational people who would free type into the commerce platform meters and the meters would spend to generate the usage. So they would do this sometimes months in advance of the product launch. No one would ever go tell the operational team that, hey, you had Foo in as the product because Foo is the project name because it hasn't even gone live. And we actually are launching it as, you know, whatever, X. So go update this. So you had some products that had split lines of usage into like 20 different meter names, massive confusing to customers in regards to billing and what they signed up for, um, massive confusion internally in regards to how much usage did this spend or is it available or, you know, what's the customer journey or the features working because it was tribal knowledge in regards to how do you aggregate these things up. Nonetheless, then look at like incentive comp for yourself and your partners or financial forecasts and how do you do that? Something so simple as just the collection of usage and how you name it was a major thing that impacted every single BU in the company, okay? We literally fixed that problem within, I think, three days and restated and got to zero unknown usage, then drove the largest commerce platform cleanup in history for that company, um, which then led to a new product called the Build Usage API that now they sell to customers based on that. And all of that went to a master data system that I built like years ago that now the product teams own and the operational teams consume what product says. So there's no in between and it's an automated process. So, but that's what I'm talking about. People don't understand who's impacting who or another uh, spinoff off of this. One more thing. There was a tax team. Okay. That if you go to, um, this was Azure. Okay. Just, I'll just call it out. But if you go to Azure.com and you look at, you know, the products and the SKUs and you get to like the rate calculators based on geographies, there was a whole team that would spend two weeks out of a month, manually inputting rates by geographies to do an update. We just extended that off of a dimension. We automated the Indian process and we just consumed it from a source because there was no need to physically type in anyway. So we like gave tons of time back to independent teams. But the reality is people don't understand what they do and how it impacts the downstream teams from a business perspective and the data that triggers right uh, around all those processes and that's where literacy is i mean 
literacy, um, you know, like Tableau was a major focus on literacy. There's a lot of talk about literacy and I have my own definition because I'm like, literacy is not learning SQL. Literacy is learning the tools that your company specifically uses, right? And understanding the business systems and the business strategies that your company is currently operating against and knowing how to write, ask the right questions and then, then how to answer them with the right tools. You know what I mean? And to me, that's literacy. So right now you've given some fantastic definitions on what culture is and literacy. So I think we need to pull that out as, as, as good snippets for later on. So, so what does it mean or what would be the ideal scenario or example, ideal company setup where data is a first class citizen? And and, and I I postulate if, does that mean that we have a data office, a CDO that uh, who reports to the CDO or CDAO and where does the CDO report into? Like, how, how would that look like? Yeah, so uh, first I'll caveat that I don't know that there's a a perfect definition for all, right? I mean, you've got different companies at different sizes with different amount of data volume. So, you know, I I don't think that there's a one for all kind of answer. I would say, though, that in in my world, right, in the software world, um, you know, look at most of the big tech companies. So look at, you know, uh, Microsoft, look at AWS, look at Google. They don't have CDOs today. Okay. And for one, that should raise a lot of eyebrows around that. But um, to me, the CDO is the CEO's best friend. You're defining strategies. You've got a COO who needs to operate. The COO needs the data. They're a customer of the data, right? You've got the financial team who's looking at how do we actually, you know, get more revenue? How do we reduce our cost savings, et cetera? They've got their specific business strategies. What the CDAO does is cut all of those different business strategies and brings the data to life underneath it to support them all, right? So they're this cross-functional component, not the CEO or the CIO, I'm sorry, who tends to focus on what's the containers, right? What's the, the containers? This is the people who focus on what's in the containers and why do we need it or why do we not? Why do we not need it sometimes? You know what I mean? From a trust perspective or a usage perspective. But that's how you bring your strategies to life is by enabling the insights with clear business decisioning capabilities, which means you've got to be at the C-suite label. You've got to be at the table while they're having business conversations. You have to align your strategy across that as, you know, as a big picture perspective. And you've got to create space for the CDOs to operate, right, with dedicated funding and others to support those things. Um, Otherwise, what you're doing is you're just not using your data, um, you know, to, to really amplify what could be across your organizations or where there's new opportunities or where there's upsells across products or where there's, you know, a new cost savings that were identified or realized. Um, You're really leaving a lot of your data value and frankly, your ROI and your infrastructure investments at the table. You're not realizing them. For companies that aren't doing this well, whether it's because they don't have a CDAO or they don't have the right strategy or the right, uh, you know, approach in place, um, what are your recommendations on, on how to get there? Like, does it start with saying, well, you do need a CDAO and you gotta, and you gotta empower them with the strategy capabilities and let them build that relationship with the CEO or, or do you approach it a little bit differently? 
Yeah, I think there's there's two ways to go about it. Um, a, I think, you know, again, if you're a mid-sized to large company, I, I, I think you need a, CD, a dedicated CDAO, right? Um, but I always start with, like personally, I start with a data management maturity type of assessment, you know? So whether you're using, you know, the cloud uh, data management maturity assessment or you're using DCAM or, you know, I, Gartner's got one, I use an industry framework to be in my bring in third parties. So it, it's not perceived as a, um, a personal, you know, assault by the CEOs. Data is political. Again, let's not shit about this. Data is political, right? So again, like you bring in a third party and you do assessments of each and every organization and their data teams and those core five disciplines as well, right? In regards to how you're operationalizing data and the policies around those things. And you start there. That should start to define where you need to focus. So, you know, like an example, when I joined Salesforce, for example, they had never had a centralized data team. They, they hadn't even had a data policy when I joined. Okay. So the first thing I did in the first six months was establish a data management maturity assessment to go in and identify where our low hanging fruit was, what our strategy would be the first year over the next two years, three years, four years, and how we were going to you know, drive that maturity and things like platforms, things like, you know, data governance, things like catalogs, um, things like glossaries, um, even like your, your strategy most of those things are baked into those assessments. So those assessments will point you exactly at where you start and, and how do you start and, and what's the best uh, return on your investment for that start. And, and that's, that's always where I start. That's ground zero. And, okay. and, for, and from a I'm curious here from, from a reporting perspective, because I, I'm, so we've been doing uh, these uh, honest, no BS sinners. You've been part yeah. of uh, one of them in Seattle. I mean, actually like to talk to people like, hey, who do you report to? And usually people end up reporting directly to the to the CIO, right? Yeah. Or the stuff. Where do you see that the, the data office usually starts out reporting? And I know we, you said we, they should end up reporting to the CEO. Like, yeah. what, what are you seeing? And, and, and what is, just somebody listening right now, it's like, what is a red flag? It's like, oh, crap. Like, I'm doing, I need to figure out how to get out of the mess I'm in right now. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, the reporting to the CIO is normal. Okay, I think that's where people usually start. Um, I've also seen two other flavors of this: reporting to the CFO and reporting to the CMO. And really, what it, it depends on the company and what their number one strategies are, right? Like I've seen companies who they're all in go to market and growth, 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 growth. So they really want to focus on that marketing angle, you know, uh, really the monetization, how do they go? And so they tend to park it under a CMO. Um, I've seen people who, again, they're more concerned about the financial aspects or the governance components related to socks or, you know, whatever it is. And then they'll park it under the CFO, right? Which I actually, I've been under the CFO many times and uh, there was value in it. I, I personally don't mind being under a CFO because all roads lead back to finance, right? <laughs> and so being there is, is not a bad place to be in regards to funding or driving change, right? Um, but they're, they're very siloed in how they think about data, right, from their purpose. But the norm is usually the CIO. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, CDOs, you know, it really depends on the company. It depends on the, the relationship between the CDO and the CIO, 
But what tends to happen is that the CIOs are focused on, uh, you know, infrastructure transformation. And, you know, that's what they get funded on. That's what they get bonuses on. That's what they get, you know, (laughs) their, their board discussions on. And what tends to happen is that what's within that infrastructure just becomes not a priority. So you're getting the crumbs, right, related to the funding or the tolling, et cetera, even though the whole point of the infrastructure is to get to the data. It's the entire point, okay? Um, so, so again, it's like this lopsided view because people just don't understand. Um, data is so complex, right? I mean, data is big and it's complex and every org has it. And does do you own financial data or does finance own it? Well, if finance own it, then do I really need a CDO if finance owns it and marketing owns it and sales owns their pieces? Because then what's the point of the CDO? Well, the CDO point is to be a servant, right? It's you're you're an enabler servant to make sure those functions are successful because they aren't data experts. They are business functions and they have business strategies that need that data input in order to shift, change, you know, be agile or make sure their strategy is even on on right. You know what I mean? Um, so it's really this discipline that people have not realized is distinct. Like it's a distinct discipline in itself. I think this is some really good advice around thinking about how to set a strategy, how to think about your organization, how to make an impact, even if you're starting in sort of a a different part of the organization, uh, which which I think is very helpful. Um, I'm curious about, um, you know, you know, going back to the main title uh, of our of our session today around first class. Right. Um, if you were going to give some sort of final advice or action steps for listeners on, on how they can make data a little more first class in their organization, take some good positive steps there, where would you direct them? I would direct them to um, back to the data management uh, maturity type of frameworks, right? Educate yourself on them. Um, you know, I would also direct them to understanding their internal org structure, Data success is all about networking, in my opinion, right? You've got to know who the players are. You have to know their strategies. You have to be creating opportunities to basically get involved and do work if they're not currently, you know, supporting you and to, and to drive change and drive impact, right? I think that, um, you know, that piece around networking is one of the, the biggest components around how do you build success and how do you create a story? Who do you influence? Um, who gets it and who doesn't? Right. And who influences them um, so that you can actually, uh, you know, it's, it's like you're not you don't want to push a rock up a hill all the time. Eventually, you want that energy to where others are helping to to advocate and, and grab that energy. And the hills just starting to roll down in regards to change and in the work. Right. Um, the other thing that I would do is a part of the reason why I, I called out the five teams. One of the biggest things at Salesforce that was beneficial for me to set up an enterprise function was aligning it to trust. Okay. Companies have values. Okay. Most companies have some type of value. What are their values and how does data help enable their values? Is it agility? Is it innovation? Is it trust? Is it customer success? And then start to understand again, what those business strategies are and initiatives and try to understand how data has a role um, and how you can help others, right? Back to being that servant, right? It's, you know, you're a change agent, but we don't own the business functions, right? We, we support the business functions and bring them to reality in regards to the change. And there's an art to that. 
So back to like know who the players are, know what the initiatives are and have conversations, create space, figure out where the fans are, get involved, um, you know, build community internally. One of the things we did at Salesforce is we created data at Salesforce. Um, it was one of the biggest things I did, which was a forum. So a, it was like a Slack community in which all of those desperate data teams and those silos and organizations were all there. But we also then started to use that as our marketplace where you could find policies and you can find literacy and you can find our platforms and you can find our glossaries. And so it started to ingrain it and became a tooling aspect in regards to any new hire. You're doing data work. You just got a data at Salesforce and everything's built right off of it. Where, where did you say you built that into? You built it into the Salesforce. community itself? Into Salesforce? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So if you went to Salesforce and you go to Aloha, which is like their Salesforce homepage where you see like your paychecks or, you know, whatever, that's where data at Salesforce is. And it's a marketplace, not just for tools, but for exchanging ideas, seeing stewards, seeing lineage, doing whatever. Make data intuitive. So you're going to make it task oriented. Don't remove the abstraction and Make sure it is something that is easy to digest, easy to deal with, and pick the right projects to show value and quantify, quantify, quantify what you're doing, right? <laughs> That's good advice here. There is so many great nuggets. Uh, there, there are so many uh, uh, just sayings I want to put on a, on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> then we gotta we gotta start this that t-shirt store of, of we just, do we should we should yeah, yeah, we sure. we should. Would you some Wendy t-shirts there's a yeah. lot of books there with my startup thing i have one i'm like we're shifting data talkers to data walkers back oh, to the no bullshit yeah. i'm like i get so tired of talk about data when it's not the first class citizen at most places right like build the community Invest in the community, invest in your employees, invest in the output that comes out of your infrastructure and, you know, invest in your strategies. And that's about shifting data to the left. And that's about creating data as a first class citizen. Data walkers. We want data walkers. We don't want data talkers. In other words, no bullshit. You just mean honest, no BS. Yeah. We're going to do our... our, our or AI minute, you got one minute to rant about AI, whatever you want, ready, set, go. Oh, okay. So uh, my rant is that AI is not new, um, one, um, that AI is all about data and it's the next gen of basically data transformation, um, that AI is not here to steal all of your jobs. Um, if you're, if, you know, you should be learning how to use AI because it will actually enable you to do new things and focus less on the operations. But AI needs to have guardrails and needs to be have high trust and quality and ethics um, and that we need a community around AI. So we need AI deputies. There's no one sheriff. We're all practitioner deputies okay, for AI. I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot all the deputies because, you know, we're the ones that have to actually deploy this crap. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. All right. Well, all right. Let's go to our um, our lightning round questions here. So let me, I'll kick it off here. So can there be big AI impacts on your business without investing on the core data foundation? 
I think that's a good question. Of course, I think there can be, but I think you need to weigh what's the impact versus what's the risk if you get it wrong, right? So again, to me, there's a quality concern. There's there's that bias or ethical concern. Um, you know, can you just run it and see what it does, and you know, oper- you know, operationalize some components or really or get some operational kind of efficiencies? Of course you can. But again, you're trading off, you potentially you're trading off your brand and your market as a result. Uh, that's really good advice. There's trade-offs here and everything that you're deciding around this. Yep. Um, and different businesses maybe have different risk profiles. That's um, correct. Yeah. All right. Second question. So does the chief data officer or chief data and analytics officer yep. own data ethics? I think so. Um, I think there's a difference between the ethics in regards to policy, right? And there's a lot of ethical officers that are spinning up. But I think that there is no point of ethics if you can't apply it in the data as far as how you can use it for fit for purpose. And that requires the, the CDAOs. Right. Next question. Will the, will the excitement about AI accelerate progress around data ethics and governance? Or are we just going to be heading into some uh, bubble burst, a winter, a trough dissolution? Well, I think that um, if you heard Microsoft last week when they did their, or two weeks ago when they did their earnings, I mean, Satya was like, you know, this is all about data. Data, data is everything. You know what I mean? Um, I just think that most people don't take that to heart. And I think GDPR was proof of that. I thought GDPR would have sped up the focus on data and the governance. And it did for a window until GDPR kind of got deployed at companies. And then it all just went back to the norm. And they only focused on that particular domain, right? So smart folks, it should. I hope so. But proof in the pudding with GDPR says probably not. That's a good point around GDPR there. Obviously, that's still a big motivating factor for many organizations, but the initial burst of activity that was much broader has subsided into something a little bit more niche. That's Um, right. They treat it like a project when data is not one and done. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Fourth and final lightning round question. Uh, we're actually going to do this a little different. This is a twist. Um, It's I call it good term, bad term. So oh. I'm going to give you three terms, and I'm okay. curious, good term or bad term? Data okay. literacy. I just say what, what I think about it, good or, that it's good or bad? Yeah, what do you think about it? Okay. Good term or bad term? Data literacy, data-driven, data culture. Data literacy, good term, but again, I think that people don't understand what it really means. you got to understand the business and the flow. It's not just about the tools. Data-driven, I hate, I, I hate that term because everybody uses it, and the reality is that most of them aren't data driven, you know what I mean? And what was the other one? Data culture? Data culture. So again, I think that that is, why do we have to define culture? Why, why, I mean, where, where do we have anything else defining culture at most corporations, right? I, I think that it's almost like become this blanket band-aid that just because you have data that now you've got a data culture when you just have a culture. And you know, the culture should be about growing together and collaborating and being informed. And why does that mean that your data culture, you're just a culture, right? Uh, for your company. That's, so a, I don't that's like an that. honest no BS thing. I love that. We don't talk about like marketing culture. I mean, I, I guess you no. could, but it would be kind of weird, right? Not anything. There's, I don't know of any other culture things that people call out when it comes to uh, company. There is, a sales, there is a sales culture. That one I would argue there is. 
Well, but they don't say it when they're in. When you're like culture or something there. Well, you know, like 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 Salesforce. Salesforce is a sales and marketing culture internally, right? But they don't say that when they're talking to their employees. They don't say that when they're talking to their 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 customers. They talk about how they have a data culture and that you need a data culture, right? To me, data cultures become a marketing tag. And that's all it is. And there shouldn't be any definition around culture. You have your culture. Is your culture to grow your company and to operate effectively and to, to remove silos and understand your business processes and to make sure that you actually have the best thing for your customers? Or is it not? If it is, then you need data. You know what I mean? And, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Wow. I love Perfect. Love this. This is, this is the hot takes you wanted. All right. Uh, takeaway time, Tim. Take take us off. Takeaway. Time for our takeaways. So, um, <laughs> Wendy, amazing conversation today. Um, you started off by announcing the association yes. uh, at the association. Look online. <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, very exciting. Bringing together practitioners uh, for networking, for thought leadership, job placements, but most importantly, cross-discipline, cross-industry conversations, collaboration around especially the areas of AI, data, ethics, privacy, and security. Yep. And uh, very exciting. I think we need that community badly. Um, and you mentioned that there's a lot of motivating factors here. The rise and the excitement around AI is just one of those things that's a big driver here. But another, I think, really important thing you mentioned is that you, you threw some stats out there. 92% of businesses fail to scale data and analytics. 95% of the 92% blamed culture. That seems like a little bit of a scapegoat here. There's more under the hood. If you can't scale data, you can't scale AI. And, and there's work to do here. And we can do it together as a community. Totally, totally, totally. I mean, we're the ones on the ground, right? So the more that we help each other... Um, you know, the, the better, uh, the more you can amplify your impact internally. Yep, exactly. And, and, uh, and you went into a little bit today around these different five areas, these five sisters or brothers, right? They're the five siblings. Um, they're all correlated functions. And so privacy, it's, it's more around the type of data. Security around how you're protecting from bad actors and meeting compliance so it's protected. Ethics, right? What is the data fit for? What's the intent? And are we really doing the right thing by our business, by our customers, and by the broader stakeholders? AI is that more advanced data discipline. And then data is the connective tissue. It's right in the middle. It's the heart, as you mentioned. Yep. Um, and use cases cut across all these things, right? Classification was an example you gave where it really affects all these different five aspects. They have to work in concert with each other. And whether you're centralized or you're decentralized, or you know, you mentioned hub and spoke model, things like that, that are really effective for larger companies. Ultimately, your strategy does need to be unified, and it needs to bridge across these five disciplines if you're going to create a cohesive approach to be able to handle those use cases. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. That's a good recap. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then lastly, and then I'll pass it over to you, Juan. Um, uh, the reality is that most people don't understand what data culture is. Uh, and I thought that that was really well said. And you really tied uh, it back to you need to understand the business and you need to understand uh, that literacy is not just about learning SQL, for example, or learning Python, right? Is another thing that I sometimes hear people throw around. 
It's about learning the business, the business strategies, and knowing how to ask the right questions and then the right answers, uh, how to get to the right answers using the tools, using the technology. But that's the last part. The other things have to come before it. That is that is data literacy. That's right. Yeah. So Come on, what about you? We discussed about um, what would an ideal org structure look like where, and, where, and where does data fit in? And then very clear that there's not one size fits all around here. And like you brought up... Uh, Makes me realize, like, if you look at those big software tech companies, the, the big tech, like, they don't have CDOs, right? So that should raise a lot of eyebrows right there. Now, a CDAO should be the CEO's best friend. The CEO is the number one customer for the data. And it's really a cross-functional component, supports all the different pillars. And, and the goal here is to provide clear business decision capabilities and to have a seat at the table for to, to be to enable that. Now, how do we get started? This is a this is a phrase I want on the t-shirt. Data is political. <laughs> and, and, and this is this is the honest no BS that we have to acknowledge and accept. It's political. You have to play that game. So how do you get started? Like first, use industry frameworks to uh, to understand yeah. the maturity of your organization and actually have third parties because if you don't have that third party, people are going to think, oh, it's you pushing that and turning it into polit into politics right there, right? Yeah. Make assessments of each business unit, right? How to understand how the lay of the land and these frameworks really help you define. What is your strategy? What is the low hanging fruit? Maybe it's simply create your first data policy or whatever. Like this is what we need to go understand. Yep. And talking about reporting, it's really normal for for the data teams, data office to report to the CIO. It's where kind of where you start. It's really focused on infrastructure transformation, but. You can maybe report to the CMO, right? Depends on the strategy. If, if it's in a very growth stage, that's why you may report to the CMO. Report to the CFO, it's not bad because, hey, all roads lead back to finance at the end. Yep. But the ultimate <laughs> goal here is to really be the best friend to the CEO. And that's I think that's kind of a, a sign of success here. Yeah. Now, we, asked, we ended up asking you advice to turn data into first-class citizens. And so many stuff. Data maturity frameworks, educate yourself. Understand your internal org structure. Network with everybody there. Understand their strategies. Go create opportunities. Who do you influence? Who gets it? Who does it? What are the values of the organization? How does data help to enable those values? How can you? How can data help others? Because again, data supports the business functions. Find the fans. Build community in internally. Make data intuitive. Make it task oriented. Remove the abstractions. Make sure it's easy to digest. Pick the right products to show value. Invest in the strategies, shift data to the left, quantify, quantify, quantify. And I want to close out with yours. We're shifting from data talkers to data walkers. Yep. Yep. What a world we live in if that becomes a reality. I'm excited for it. We're going to do Maybe. it. <laughs> How did we do anything else we should, anything we missed in our takeaways? No, I, I think that was, that was a great recap. Awesome. So uh, we'll throw it to you to wrap up three questions. What's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? Okay, what's my advice? So my advice is join the association because <laughs> we're going to change the world. Number two, um, uh, what was number two again? Who, who, yeah, who should, who have should on? we invite next? I think you you know I'm about to talk to Moham Arif. I think that people need to hear about, uh, you know, the the – opportunities that could happen when you bring business semantics right on top of uh, stores, okay, and, and what changes that can drive. 
Yeah, we're, we're, um, we're going to be definitely talking a lot about AI and semantics and knowledge graph. And actually, there's a call out to a previous episode almost like a year ago uh, with Bob Muglia, the former CEO of Snowflake and who's on the board of Relational AI. Yeah. And who is, this is what I tell people, if the former CEO of Snowflake, right, the world's largest cloud data warehouse, is talking about semantics and knowledge graphs and relational knowledge graphs like you got to pay attention to that. So I'll just, just to give everyone a little tidbit. I mean, what's the point of a lot of business applications? If you can define the business logic and add it right into the stores with knowledge graphs and decision trees. Okay. So little tidbit about where things are headed. Right. Um, and, and Bob, as you know, is on the board with, with Moham, but it's an interesting topic. And I think it's definitely a direction for the future. And one of the things yeah. that we'll be talking a lot more about here, because this is where we're seeing about AI is the combination of, AI and all these large language models with the knowledge graph, the semantics, the business, the context, all that stuff. You want to talk about automated a business decisioning, right? For operations, there you go. <laughs> you know? right. So much stuff. All right, and finally, uh, what are your uh, resources that you follow? People, blogs, podcasts, uh, books, conferences, whatever. I, I tend to follow a lot of the kind of standards. I'm very active in a lot of the uh, DEE, DEI type of efforts. So women in data, women in technology. I, you know, I do a lot of the Gartner, McKinsey publications. I'm not a huge podcast person. I hate to say that, but you know, <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm just too busy. Oh, <laughs> else. But, uh, you know, I think that, I, you know, learn from the people who interest you. We all have different things that we're interested in. I like big thinkers. I like world changing types of concepts. And those are the people I tend to follow. Fantastic. All right. Well, just a reminder, next week, we're going to have Simone Steele uh, talking about data sustainability. Simone, she uh, gave a fantastic talk at the CDOIQ conference. Uh, and she's right now a free agent. She's a very experienced CDAO and she's taking a break right now before she's going off to her next gig. So she has like the opportunity to be very open about all her thoughts. So that's going to be a very thought provoking uh, uh, episode next week. And, and with that, Wendy, thank you so much. And I want to remind everybody, check out the association.ai. And as always, thanks to our world. It lets us do this every Wednesday. Thank <laughs> you guys for having me. Cheers again. And Cheers. Uh, Congrats, uh, congrats on the, this launch and congrats for everyone who joined us live. Not that it's congrats, but thank you for joining us live. And I can't see, I can't wait to see where this goes in the future. So. Awesome. Yeah. Community. All right. Thank yeah. you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>